my secret. It's very bad. Very, very bad. I want to tell you, but... I... I... I'm afraid. ASI episode 39. My name is Russ Shaw. The website where all the magic happens is asi247.org. You can reach me via email, russ at asi247.org. Or my Twitter handle, which is at Russ Shaw, all one word. Yes, that's three S's in email a little bit and I wanted to talk about the fact you know the these two roads of behavioral science and faith or some people would call religion right um, this week will be my wife and I's 25th wedding anniversary 25 years it's just awesome like honestly I didn't know I'd be alive this long um, there's this song I'll play you the bumper. Um, it's it's called The Man Who Was Going to Die Young, and it's I've kind of dedicated it to my wife. Here's a bumper from the tune. It, it touches my heart. As a guy who, um, again, some of you know my story. I'm, I'm really happy to be married still, and I'm really happy to still be alive, man. Always thought I'd be a heap of metal in a cloud Smoke from stud to the pedal Sold for parts like a junkyard rusted house shit Fear of it now What the hell made you want to love A man who was gone That's Eric Church, a man who was going to die young. My wife loved me when I wasn't sure if I was going to stay sober, you know. She loved the alive part of me and really wouldn't tolerate the part of me that kind of thirsted after becoming a corpse. Right? Like, she loved and invested in the, in the alive, loving, fun Russ Shaw that, that was full of life and, and uh, 
man, I, I don't know if I'd be alive if I if I didn't meet Dana. I love my wife and baby. I'm thankful. I'm so grateful for the years that we've had together and the years that we'll continue to see. Anyway, um, 25 years, man. That's that's a long time, man, and and it's it's a milestone. Um, some people have said that's uh, wow, Russ. That's inspiring that you could be married that long. Uh, there's some some of you listening haven't haven't been alive that long, um, so there's that right. But the, the folks will ask and say, well, well, what's your secret to longevity in marriage? And man, I drove my marriage. If my marriage was this awesome like '69 fastback Mustang, I drove it into a wall at like 100 miles an hour. All right, and I implore you, don't do that. All right, that's a big part of me doing these podcasts. Learn from my bloodshed. All right. Get this thing straightened out. Understand new definitions of freedom and love. Because I tell you what, the the pain and the traction, right? And, and being blood transfusions and having to repair all that is enormously painful. It is way more painful than the self-discipline that it's going to take to just drive down the road, Right? The, it's the grace of my wife and the grace of God is really the reason that I'm still married. And, and the fact of love and how we define love as a couple and, and how we love each other and, and serve each other. And this has more to do with my faith than it has to do with all of the books that I've read on marriage. And I, and I have read a lot of books and listened to a lot of audio books and I've, I've got, we've got marriage counseling, but really, man, my faith is a big, big part of that. So I wanted to talk about some of that today because yeah, I did learn some strategies and things in, in, from behavioral scientists. Like I didn't just read Christian books on marriage. I I did read some other books. You know, I I had one of the first guests I had on the show was, uh, naked intimacy, Dr. Block, not a Christian cat, but had some great things to say about relationship, and so uh, you hear what I'm saying? Like there's this, there's this weird intersection between faith and behavioral science that I wanted to touch on today. I wanted to present to you a talk from a guy who uh, started a website called yourbrainonporn.com. Um, this guy doesn't share my same worldview. Uh, more on the sciencey side of things you're going to find from this talk. But as a Christian and as a guy with my worldview, as a as a kind of a, a non-religious Christian, if you will, <laughs> um, unpacking that is is going to take a few more episodes on on your part. Uh, but anyhow. Um, one thing I've learned about my faith is that God is not a killjoy, right? Like a lot of this stuff about sex and the Bible that we have such a problem with, a lot of folks and sin and, you know, God seems mean and angry really isn't true. Yes, God gets angry at sin. Very true because he's a loving father. 
just like you would if, you know, you had two kids and one of them smacked, you know, the other one in the face with a hammer, yeah, you'd probably get angry, right? Like God is like that. God loves us like that. Um, but also, again, he's not out to destroy all of your fun. God created sex. It was his idea. And um, he wants us to enjoy it in the parameters that he has set up. So in light of that, you know, I wanted to, to talk about this this guy's talk because I think it's important. And he brings up a lot of behavioral science and a lot of the what we're seeing now in culture as the negative effects of pornography on young men especially, uh, and how it really is, and scientists are finally starting to see that sexual addiction really is a debilitating, uh, life-altering, in a negative way, addiction. So, but this isn't new, right? This is something that the Bible has said for thousands of years. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. Now, the reason why he's saying this, sorry, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Part of the reason he's saying this is, you know, that was the Christian message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once we're saved, we're, we're forgiven, right? We're accepted into God's family. Yes, we do these things, but the kingdom of God is, is part of being in relationship with Christ and being welcomed into his kingdom is, is not just what's going to happen when we die. I think that's can be a, a, sometimes a shallow, just, Oh, well, I bought fire insurance, right? I, I said the, the magic prayer and now Jesus forgives me. And, and what Paul is saying here is, um, it, listen, yeah, the law, the 10 commandments, all of that stuff is, it's not that it's been abolished, it's, it was there for a reason, but just because, you know, we can sin and God forgives us doesn't give us license to do things that will hurt us, destroy us, cause a ripple effect of more chaos and pain, right? So, anyway, 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I love that. That's part of addiction, man. You give yourself over to porn addiction for long enough. You will no longer own your porn. It will own you. And I think that that is what this man is going to talk about when it comes to behavioral science and when it comes to evolutionary biology. Now, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say this about evolutionary biology. Um, C.S. Lewis, who, and I don't share his worldview on this. I'm, I'm more of a, uh, I, I like science. I approach science with a different relationship. But C.S. Lewis was a very brilliant man, um, taught at Cambridge and Oxford. Um, this man was no you know, anti-establishment as far as education was concerned when it came to his faith. And a lot of what C.S. Lewis believed was that he believed that um, evolutionary biology was true, that that's how we came here. It's creation. A lot of Christians believe that, creation by evolutionary standards, right? That the book of Genesis is more of metaphor, absolutely true, but more of a metaphor than it is fact or, I mean, it is fact. And that's what he would say. Like the heart 
is a ancient metaphor going all the way back to the book of Genesis and the ancient Jews or Hebrews, right, that came up with this metaphor of the heart being the center, right, being the, the center of motivation, of emotion, of affection, that everything we do, kind of like our heart that pumps blood, our physical heart pumping blood throughout our bodies, the heart in a, the spiritual sense is pumping motivation, right? Everything we do has to do with our, our heart, our motivations, our emotions, our affections. So when someone says, my soulmate, right? I, I met this person and they were the, the love of my life and they broke my heart. That can be very, very true, right? But do we rush them to the ER to have some heart valve sewed back together? No, it's a metaphor, right? It's not literal, but we get it. Does that make sense? So some folks get hung up on these old Bible stories and you know, you get like Bill Nye the science guy and Ken Ham going at it. I mean, it was just embarrassing be honest with you, as a Christian, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm tweeting uh, the 20s called and they want their creation debate back, right? It's stuff like that. So anyway, I don't necessarily share Lewis's worldview. I may believe the Bible's more literal than that. If I'm agnostic in any way, it's on all the theories in science because there is a lot of theories that do overlap one another, but I do love science, right? I don't think science and religion or science and faith are mutually exclusive. So when someone's heart is broken, does that mean that blood starts rushing out of their nose, their eyes, you know, different orifices? Is that what it means? No! Not literal, but still true. Does that make sense? Anyway, um, Lewis believed when it came to behavioral science that he would go to Genesis. And he also would talk about Freud and how Freud was wrong on some stuff. Um, see, C.S. Lewis believed in his heart that the book of the whole of the Bible, right? The canon of the Bible is God's story. And for us to read it brings us closer into relationship with him and to understand his story. Sometimes we, we scream for answers and God gives us stories. And that's what is in the Bible, all right? And that the book of Genesis, again, this is Lewis's worldview, was God speaking baby talk to us, all right? That he would get down at our level and tell us a story about how this came about in a way that we could understand. See, the same guy, Apostle Paul, said in the book of Galatians that if we could get to God by following all the rules, then Christ died for nothing. Does that make sense? Again, I would look at the book of Genesis spiritually a little more um, deeper than that, all right? I don't share Lewis's worldview, but it is an intriguing worldview. And it's something, you know, if I could get the hamster on the wheel... Some of you guys who struggle with faith to understand, um, it, it's something to think about philosophically, isn't it? So I share this with you 
as a guy who cares about people getting free from this thing, and a, as a guy who, you know, my hat's off to folks who want to help people out, who want to get close to the problem, who aren't afraid, to, you know, aren't squeamish when it comes to the messy issues of, of human beings in a fallen world. So, again, you're going to hear uh, Gary Wilson. It's called The Great Porn Experiment is the name of this talk. It's an actually TEDx talk. It is shared for free on YouTube. It has over 2 million hits. Um, there is some visual to it. He does kind of a PowerPoint in the background. So if you go to the website, asi247.org, um, or if you just simply Google the great porn experiment, you can you can see the talk for yourself. Uh, it, you, go, you can hear the audio, but it might make a little more sense if you see the video. Uh, but anyway, here you go. Inspired by the last talker, I'm going to have a little song about internet porn. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, the widespread use of internet porn is one of the fastest moving, most global experiments ever unconsciously conducted. Nearly every young guy with an internet access becomes an eager test subject. Canadian researcher Simon Lajeunesse found that most boys seek pornography by age 10, driven by a brain that is suddenly fascinated by sex. Now, users perceive internet porn as far more compelling than porn of the past. Why is that? Unending novelty. In this Australian experiment, it's not mere nudity, but novelty that gets arousal skyrocketing. Subjects watch 22 porn displays. See that spike? That's where the researchers switched to porn the guys hadn't seen before. What happened? Their erections and their brains fired up. Why all the excitement? Mother Nature likes to keep a male fertilizing willing females as long as any new ones are around. In that top line, the ram, he's needing, he needs more and more time to mate with the same old you. But if you keep switching females, the bottom line, well, you can, he, <laughs> it's just not the same. Uh, he can get the job done in two minutes flat and keep going until he is utterly exhausted. This is known as the Coolidge effect. Without the Coolidge effect, there would be no internet porn. This old mammalian program, the Coolidge effect, perceives each novel female on a guy's screen as a genetic opportunity. To keep a guy fertilizing the screen, his brain releases the go-get-it neurochemical dopamine for each novel mate or image. Eventually, the, the ram will tire, but as long as the guy can keep clicking, he can keep going, and so will his dopamine. With internet porn, a guy can see more hot babes in 10 minutes than his ancestors could see in several lifetimes. The problem is he has a hunter-gatherer brain. A heavy user's brain rewires itself to this genetic bonanza, so it, it carefully it becomes his brain becomes associated with this porn harem. Such, such behaviors that are associated with this are being alone, voyeurism, clicking, searching, multiple tabs, fast-forwarding, constant novelty, shock, and surprise. 
As one young guy once asked, are we the first generation to masturbate left-handed? <laughs> Now, real sex, in contrast, is courtship, touching, being touched, smells, pheromones, emotional connection, interaction with a real person. Now, what happens when our guy finally gets with a real mate? Well, researchers don't know much about the effects of internet porn for several reasons. In 2009, when Lajeunesse tried to study porn's impact, he couldn't find any college-age males who weren't using it. So the first serious dilemma is that studies have no control groups. Now, this creates a huge blind spot. Imagine if all guys started smoking at age 10, and there were no groups that didn't. We would think that lung cancer is normal for all guys. Undaunted by his lack of non-users, Lajeunesse asked 20 male students, is internet porn affecting you or your attitudes towards women? Their answer, nah, I don't think so. But they've been using it for about a decade then, pretty much nonstop. This is like asking a fish what it thinks about water. Which brings us to a second problem. Now, researchers haven't asked porn users about the symptoms Zimbardo described in The Demise of Guys. Arousal addiction symptoms are easily mistaken for such things as ADHD, social anxiety, depression, concentration problems, performance anxiety, OCD, and a host of others. Now, healthcare providers often assume that these conditions are primary, perhaps the cause of addiction, but never really the result of an addiction. As a consequence, they often medicate these guys uh, without really inquiring about if they have an internet addiction. So guys never realize that they could overcome these symptoms simply by changing their behavior. Now, the third problem is it's hard to believe that sexual activity can cause addiction because sex is healthy. But internet porn is not sex. Internet porn is as different from real sex as today's video games are from checkers. Uh, watching a screen full of naked body parts won't automatically protect one from arousal addiction. In this Dutch study, here's the title, they found that, in fact, of all activities on the Internet, porn has the most potential to become addictive. Here's why. This ancient program, the reward circuit, evolved to drive us towards natural rewards, such as sex, bonding, and food. As a consequence, extreme versions of natural rewards have a unique ability to capture us. For example, high-calorie foods or hot, novel babes give us extra dopamine. Too much dopamine, though, can override our natural satiation mechanisms. For example, give rats unlimited access to junk food, and almost all of them will binge to obesity. This is also why four out of five Americans are overweight, and about half of those are obese. That is, addicted to food. Now, in contrast to natural rewards, drugs such as cocaine or alcohol only hook about 10% of users, 
whether they are rats or humans. This binge mechanism for food or sex was once an evolutionary advantage. In essence, it is getting it while the getting is good. Now you can think of wolves packing away 20 pounds of meat per kill, or it's mating season and you're the alpha male. What if mating season never ends? All those hits of dopamine can tell your brain to do two things. First, they say, "Man, you have hit the evolutionary jackpot." Second, they kick in a molecular switch called delta fos B. I know it's a fancy word, but dopamine kicks in delta fos B, and that starts to accumulate in the brain's reward circuit. Now, with excess chronic consumption of drugs or natural rewards. This buildup of delta fos B starts to alter the brain and promotes a cycle of binging and craving. If the binging continues, the delta fos B builds up, and it can lead to brain changes seen in all addicts. So the dominoes are excess consumption, excess dopamine, delta fos B, brain changes. One of the first changes is a numb pleasure response. It kicks in, and so everyday pleasures really don't satisfy a porn addict. At the same time, other physical changes in the brain make the brain hyperreactive to porn. Everything else in the porn user's life is sort of boring, but porn is super exciting. Finally, his willpower erodes as his frontal cortex changes. I can't emphasize this enough. All addictions share these same brain changes. And the same molecular switch that kicks them in, delta fos B. Now, scientists have used brain scans to measure these changes in drug addicts. Up here, these scans show a reduced pleasure response in drug addicts. These and several other changes have also been seen in gambling addicts, food addicts, very recently in video game addicts, and now in internet addicts. I apologize for filling up this slide with brain studies. Just notice the dates, but I want you to know that they exist. So far, all brain research points in only one direction: constant novelty at a click can cause addiction. Now we know this because when scientists examined former internet addicts, they found that these brain changes were reversing themselves. Unfortunately, none of these studies isolate porn users, but they do include them. Here's the game changer. At last, we have a group of guys who are no longer using internet porn. That's right, heavy users are voluntarily giving it up by the thousands. These guys are the missing control group in the great porn experiment. They're showing experts what changing one single variable can do. I call it the resurrection of guys, as opposed to the demise of guys. Now, before I continue, you probably want to know why any porn-loving guy in his right mind would give it up. <laughs> Two words: erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Internet porn is killing young men's sexual performance. Now, Zimbardo said young guys are flaming out with women. This survey by Italian neurologist confirms what we have witnessed over the last few years. Now, sexual enhancement drugs often stop working for these guys if they ever did, because the problem isn't below the belt where Viagra works. 
nor is the problem really psychological. It's due to physical changes in the brain, those addiction-related changes. Their numb brains are sending weaker and weaker signals to their bananas. <laughs> As Dr. Foresta says, it starts with lower reactions to porn sites, then there is a general drop in libido, and in the end, it becomes impossible to get an erection. There are three takeaways from this. First, Foresta is describing a classic addiction process, gradual desensitization. Second, internet porn is qualitatively different from Playboy. Widespread youthful ED has never been seen before. And finally, ED is often the only symptom that gets these guys' attention. The question is, what less obvious symptoms are they missing? Most don't figure that out until after they quit. Here's a guy in his late 20s. I've been a psychologist and psychiatrist for the last eight years, have been diagnosed with depression, severe social anxiety, severe memory impairment, and a few others. Have tried Effexor, Ritalin, Xanax, Paxil, dropped out of two different colleges, been fired twice, used pot to calm my social anxiety. I've been approached by quite a few women, I guess due to my looks and status, but they quickly flew away due to my incredible weirdness. I've been a hardcore porn addict since age 14. For the last two years, I've been experimenting and finally realized that porn was an issue. I stopped it completely two months ago. It has been very difficult, but so far, incredibly worth it. I've since quit my remaining medication. My anxiety is non-existent. My memory and focus are sharper than they've ever been. I feel like a huge chick magnet, and my ED is gone, too. I seriously think I had a rebirth, a second chance at life. This is why pockets of guys are appearing all over the web, bodybuilding sites, sports sites, pickup artist sites, wherever men congregate. In essence, they are seeking a neurochemical rebirth. Here's a group on reddit.com who call themselves Fapstronauts. Fapping is slang for solo sex, but what they really mean is giving up porn. They've added about 2,000 members since I captured this picture a month ago. This movement to unhook from porn is growing rapidly. In fact, groups are springing up all across the web and in Europe, too. But there is a bizarre fly in the ointment. Guys in their early 20s aren't regaining their erectile health as quickly as older guys. How can a 50-year-old get his mojo back quicker than a 20-something? <laughs> the answer, even though older guys have been using porn a whole lot longer, they didn't start on today's internet porn. Now, we know this is a key variable because the older guys didn't start having sexual problems until after they got high-speed internet. <laughs> Now, today's young teens start on high-speed internet when their brains are at their peak of dopamine production and neuroplasticity. This is also when they are most vulnerable to addiction, but there's another risk. By adulthood, teens strengthen heavily used circuits and prune back unused ones, 
So by age 22 or so, a guy's sexual taste can be like deep ruts in his brain. This can cause panic if a guy has escalated to extreme porn or porn that no longer matches his sexual orientation. Fortunately, brains are plastic, so his taste can revert once he quits porn. As the guy returns to normal sensitivity, his brain looks around for the rewards it evolved to seek, such as friendly interaction and, of course, real mates. Here's one more example of what we hear every day. I feel like the next Sir Isaac Newton or Leonardo da Vinci. Since I quit a month ago, I've literally started a business, taken up piano, been studying French every day, been programming, drawing, writing, started managing my finances, and I have more awesome ideas than I know what to do with. My confidence is sky high. I already feel like I can talk to any girl. I'm the same guy who took two and a half extra years to graduate from college because of procrastination and depression. I'll conclude with a wish. I'd like to see some Bardo's guys who are wiping out and their caregivers and the experts listen to the thousands of men who are teaching us about arousal addiction by escaping it. Thanks for listening. That was the talk. Again, yourbrainonporn.com. If you want more information on the sciencey side of this stuff, you can go there. Uh, ASI247.org is my website. Uh, also, donations, man. If any of you uh, feel led on your heart to donate to keep this thing alive, man, I would certainly appreciate it. Um, again, it costs money to pay for the hosting to keep this thing up. And, and any of you who've been impacted by the message, man, I, I would appreciate so much a donation. Again, I, you can do that on the website via PayPal right there at asi247.org again thanks for listening till next time bye Far from the comfort that we know.